Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Nightmarica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we are doing, please consider supporting patreon.com forward slash Aaron Sagers. Welcome to Nightmarica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhood. Episode 44, The Living Doll of Key West, with author David L. Sloan. Ahoy, hoy, Nightmaricans! And welcome to another episode of Nightmarica. I am your host, journalist, and paranormal explorer of the weird, Aaron Sagers. And you know all that, because I say it every, every week. You guys should know that by now. But I'm super stoked for... The story that we're going to tell today, and especially with the guest that's going to tell it. So this gentleman is a new friend, relatively speaking, just really met in October, but I was already familiar with his work. He is an author and a producer out of Key West, Florida, the author of 20 books, including The Ghosts of Key West, Haunted Key West, Quit Your Job and Move to Key West, you might be noticing that theme here, and the Florida Keys bucket list, but he's also the author that is connected to Robert the Doll. He's the man that really brought this story to the masses through his book about Robert the Doll and also about today's topic, Count Carl von Kossel. And uh, David started one of the first ghost tours in Key West in 1996 and today he runs sloan's ghost fort adventures at key west fort east martello i have been there it's a very cool location we did a whole robert the doll ouija board experiment there on halloween night an amazing night had a heck of a lot of fun there and he's also conducted extensive research on various other topics and he really just takes time unraveling the history behind these mysteries and legends in the Florida Keys. And 
and he's just a, a great guy and incredibly gracious and was very welcoming when I went down to the Keys and spent like six weeks down there. So without further ado, let me bring my friend, uh, author, producer, David L. Sloan into the podcast. Hey there, David. Hey. Thank you for joining today. Uh, so I'm... I'm uh, I'm in Florida as well right now, staying here right now, uh, and I'm a little bit further north than you, and it's cold. So I'm guessing that means it's just another day in paradise in Key West. No, it's cold here. It must be about 68 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> We're freezing here. I'm sure there's a lot of people that'll listen to this, and then, you know, you've already started off on the wrong foot. They're going to start cursing you. Uh, David L. Sloan saying 68 degrees is cold, I guess, for Key West. Yeah, for Key West, it's quite the chill. <laughs> well, uh, as I said in the bio, you've been doing this for a long time. I, I mean, that's that's like close to thirty years that you've been doing the ghost tours in Key West. Uh, little, tell us a little bit of just about how you began that journey in 1996. Started one of the first ghost tours in the United States and in Key West. How did that begin? Well, you know, I've always been into ghosts ever since I was in kindergarten and I had a kindergarten teacher who used to tell us about the Native American that was haunting her house. And he used to throw a cat downstairs, knock around on the walls. And so as a kid, I was just so intrigued. And then my family had a haunted hotel uh, right near Germantown, Pennsylvania. So I experienced ghosts when I was young. And then I was managing cruise ships. You know, I hadn't pursued a paranormal career and I took a trip to Scotland. And when I was walking around there, I saw a little chalkboard. It said ghost tour tonight. Mm-hmm. And I looked at them like, whoa, what's a ghost tour? Because they really didn't exist in the United States. There might have been a couple, but this is pre-internet. So nobody was talking about them. And uh, I went on the tour. And that night, I think there were 20 people on the tour I went on. Uh, they were doing three other tours that night. There were three other tour groups And I saw that there were all these people who wanted to hear the haunted history of that town. And I said, well, this is what I want to do. So I realized I can make a living doing that. So I quit my corporate job and I moved down to Key West because it's the second oldest city in Florida. And I slept on my friend's kitchen floor and started researching ghosts. And there was nothing. I mean, I went to the library, nothing. I walked around town. I got to the point where I went to the bars and I'd tip really good. And I'd say, so I hear this place is haunted. And people were saying, eh, not that I've heard of. So I was about to leave town and somebody appeared in my car. And so I'd go back to the library and I was lost and I was flustered. And I said, I don't know where the library is. And I looked up and there's a sign that says library parking only. So I pull over, I go into the library for the third or fourth time. And this time there was a gentleman back in the history section And I asked him about a book on ghosts, and he said, there are none. And I was about to leave, and I said, no books or no ghosts. And he said, no books, hang on. And he goes into this walk-in vault and comes out with a file about four inches thick, full of newspaper clippings from the past 30, 40 years, all about the haunted history of Key West. And, I mean, I really feel like something outside of me stepped in to make that happen, and it set me on this path. And it is a a town that, you know, people talk a lot about New Orleans or even Savannah, but Key West is a is a ghost HQ. It is a place mm-hmm. where so many stories 
exist there. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, and I'm sure you've talked about this in other interviews, but why do you think that is? Why is Key West so notoriously haunted? What I find is some of the best haunted cities in the United States are old port towns. So if you follow the Spanish trade routes, you know, you've got New Orleans, Key West, St. Augustine, Savannah, Mm -hmm. Charleston, and it continues and continues. So there's something about those towns. Um, A lot of towns on the water. You're familiar with the different theories about how water can either trap spirits or enhance them. Um, So there's something to that. And then I think there's something to be said about preserving the history of a place, the more historic buildings that remain, uh, I think they make it uh, more conducive for the spirits. Um, And, you know, there's the theory about the Native Americans who were here, because Key West in Spanish was Cayo Hueso, which literally means island of bones. And that goes back to the Calusa bones that the Spaniards found. Um, But another theory is that people just love it here so much that when they die, they don't want to leave. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're you yourself, you did, you wrote the book, quit your day job and move to Key West. And, and that is, that's what you did. Yeah. So yeah, experience. And I mean, just in adding, adding to the theories of the paranormal, yeah, water is always a big part of it and certain mineral deposits that, that sort of retain that energy. But the keys, Key West is an Island. So this notion of, if if it's true that ghosts cannot cross over water, well, they would be stuck there. You know, they would yeah. be stuck on that little island. Yeah. So the theories about the coralline limestone, limestone being an anchor for spirits, and and that they find a lot, uh, a lot more. There's just a lot more activity. Activity, yeah. And and talk a little bit about what you're doing now, because as I mentioned, you are the person that I think really popularized the Robert the Doll story. And I've talked about Robert the Doll on this podcast. And, you know, so you you really brought this story to the masses, brought it to the forefront. But talk a little bit about what you're doing now over there at the Fort East Martello. It's kind of my dream job. Um, the Fort East Martello, it's an incredible fort. It was built back in 1862 during the Civil War, and Key West was under Union control. It became the home of Robert the Doll. And back in September, I was approached by the fort, and they said, hey, would you like to put together something uh, up here, um, you know, to some type of a ghost tour? And I said, oh, yeah, I would. Um, and it was great because I've been researching Robert since 1996, before he was on display. Uh, that's been really one of my fascinations, something I've been dedicated to. But to get up there and to see the additional history of the fort, because it's not just Robert. And one of the first stories I heard when I came to Key West was from the county mayor. And she said, oh, when I was a kid, that was the place we used to go hunt for ghosts. So to actually get in there and take the notes I've taken through the years and get to spend every night in there leading these ghost tours, these ghost hunts. Uh, we're doing lockdowns and paranormal investigations. It's uh, it's just mind-blowing. Well, and yeah, so Robert the Doll at the Fort East Martello, the, Robert the Doll is sort of the main attraction, and it's the last exhibit before you exit through the gift shop, But uh, pretty much. But... Robert is, as you said, only one part of the of the Fort East Martello. And when I was there with you and we had our, you know, Robert the Doll Ouija board experience, mm-hmm. Halloween night, full moon, Friday the 13th. It was all around. It was just a great, crazy paranormal night. But one of the things that I noticed is as cool as Robert the Doll is, 
yeah, the whole museum is just crackling with potential energy and reports of hauntings there. Through your work uh, with the Sloan's Ghost Fort Adventures, are you are you kind of bringing those other ghost stories to life? Are, are other people kind of cluing in on the other haunts that supposedly happen at the Fort East Martello? Without doubt. And when I started, it was really the Robert the Doll experience. And we just made the transition into Sloan's Ghost Fort Adventures because there is so much activity. Um, the Civil War soldiers, you know, the, the engineers who built it, there were slaves who built it. Um, there's just activity all around with them. Um, we get different scents around the fort. There's a, sometimes you're overcome by the smell of oranges. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can smell the cattle that used to be there. Um, and then there's a number of haunted artifacts. Um, there's the raft that you're familiar with. That, yes. You know, the chug that was uh, coming over from Cuba. And when they found it out in the Straits of Florida, there were three ID cards on board, but not a single soul. And when we used the spirit box there, you were there when the Spanish voices started coming through. And that's yeah. the only place in the fort where the Spanish comes through on the box. Um, and, you know, there's the cigar rollers, the lady at the piano. Um, I've documented 42 different spirits. And, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I try not to tell people to believe or not believe. That's kind of their own choice. But I will say that that raft in particular walking by it and not knowing the history initially when I was just walking by going from point A to point B on some sort of errand passing by it and picking up on a lot of just vibes off of that thing. It was very, very potent now, which we're going to, it's funny because we're talking a lot about Robert the doll in the 40s Martello museum, but that's not even the story we're going to tell today. In fact, the story we're going to tell is perhaps one of the other, maybe the, I, uh, without getting into it yet, would you say that this is Robert and the Count Carl von Kassel story are neck and neck for the most famous tales out of Key West? Without doubt. Without doubt. Without and doubt. the one with Carl uh, von Kassel, that's the one that put Key West on the map around the United States and around the world where people said, whoa, there's some weird stuff going on in Key West. All right. Well, before we get into it, we're going to play a little game. And I'm going to, it's, a, it's literally a very short little game where I'm going to give you two headlines and you're going to pick which one you want to know more about. So it's not even a game, it's multiple choice, I guess. Uh, so the first headline that we have here comes to us from WLBT3 from Brandon, Mississippi. Family believes Christmas present unleashed paranormal activity in into their Brandon home. That's the first one. And the other one comes to us from 4WWL New Orleans. Zombie-like raccoons spotted in New Orleans City Park pose danger to pets. So out of those two, which is the headline that you want to hear about? Oh, I definitely want to hear about the uh, Christmas gift. Okay. Good choice, because out of the two, I think this is the better one. But, okay, I'm going to read directly from WLBT3 from Brandon, Mississippi, and this is this was published on January 25th, so only about a week and change ago. It sounded like someone was knocking on the walls. That's how Whitney Merritt describes the beginning, 
of the nearly three weeks of alleged paranormal activity her family endured after receiving a Christmas present last month. The present was a vintage doll carriage. Her mother had gotten it from a friend of a friend and had gifted it to Whitney's daughter, where it sat by the Christmas tree for the first few days. The knocking, Whitney says, began at the beginning of the year. They would hear it on the walls of their home, which they have recently moved into. And the sounds grew so loud that on two occasions, Whitney walked to the front door thinking someone was outside. It was midnight, so she called her husband, who works night shifts. She said, quote, I think someone's at the front door, she told him before turning on the porch light. When she opened it, no one was there. And then on the third or fourth night, they started hearing a boom, boom, boom in the attic. She says this, that she's actually rubbing her chest, according to the reports. And it stressed her out so much that she was just physically anguished by this. The house was built in 1992. She thought, well, maybe it's just settling in, but she couldn't find any logical reasons. And then the sounds in their living room became so frequently, they, so frequent they could no longer be ignored. So in the middle of the night, one night, Michael, her husband, went into the attic carrying a shotgun and a flashlight, expecting to find someone up there. It was so significant. They thought a human was up there. And instead... They did not find anyone. And then the banging continued and it led to them being awoken from a deep sleep. And then one morning they walk into a kitchen and they discover a bag on the ground that should not be there. And in the bag were coffee mugs that she had recently purchased from TJ Maxx. Plug for TJ Maxx there. And the bag was three or four, three or four feet away from the table where she had left it. And the mugs inside were broken. She says, no way they could have fallen over. There's no way they could have rolled over. They're not going to break like that. 3.30 in the morning, another bang the next night. And another bag on the floor. Another shattered mug. Just whatever this is, is, is causing a lot of damage. And... Then in this last week in her children's room, the dream catcher and lamp in her daughter's uh, in her daughter's room fell to the floor multiple times. And uh, when they were investigating this, Whitney and Michael, the bedroom door slammed behind them as they were checking this out. So this is ongoing. This is an ongoing thing that's happening there in Brandon, Mississippi. Sounds like maybe that that carriage needs to go here. Maybe they have the zombie raccoons living in their attic. <laughs> yeah, that's also that's also possible. Yeah. It's, either way. Yeah. The zombie raccoons is like um, I don't want to I don't want to encounter them either. Ghosts or zombie raccoons. I'll probably take ghosts in that case. Yeah. Um, so. All right. Well, that's good. You made a good choice on that one. And before we get into your story, I want to hear from one of our sponsors. Support for Nightmarica is brought to you by Manscaped, which is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming for more than 2 million men and counting. Now, Valentine's Day is upon us, Nightmaricans, and you want to make sure you're ready for wherever the night or even day might take you. And whether you're buying for yourself or you're getting a gift for that special someone, Manscaped has you covered. The best way to get started is with the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0, and this is full of the best products to keep you looking, smelling, and feeling nice. 
The Perfect Package 3.0 is led by the revolutionary third-generation lawnmower 3.0 trimmer that has advanced skin-safe technology and features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. And we talk about a lot of weird stuff on this show, but we do not support bloodletting. So avoid that altogether with the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. It's also waterproof, and that prevents a mess on the bathroom floor and in the sink. So let's be real. Unless you're a ghost, you are going to smell sometimes. I mean, demons, goblins, Sasquatch, and humans, they all stink. So do you, guys. But with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver Ball Deodorant and Ball Toner, you can smell good. And the manly scent is attractive. It's going to help set the mood. And I personally enjoy the new Refined Cologne. That's a signature scent by Manscaped. And it is a perfect complement to the entire collection. It completes your grooming game. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with a pair of Manscaped boxers. Toss those ratty, overused undies. Get Just get them out of there. And trade up with these high-performance anti-chafing boxers. They are easily the comfiest boxers I have ever had. And if that is not enough for you, you should check out the Shears 2.0. Now, what are those? This is a luxury four-piece nail kit that features tempered stainless steel tools within a compact case made of premium leather and there's a magnetic closure it's actually really nicely designed you got these these tweezers these round point scissors fingernail clippers a nail file it it's, all comes together really nicely I, i'm really digging it okay so how do you get the perfect package and the shears well you're going to head to manscaped.com and you are going to enter the code nightmerica20 and that gets you 20% off, plus free shipping. Again, manscaped.com, enter the code NIGHTMERICA20 for 20% off, plus free shipping. Manscaped, the right tools for the job. And we're back. David L. Sloan, uh, this story, give us give us uh, a time frame. When, when is this set? This takes place mostly in the 1930s in Key West, Florida. And and I have to hold up, and I'll post this on the social media, The Lost Diary of Count von Kossel. So this is the book that you published, and it's a true twisted tale of love after death. And instead of reading the whole book out loud, you're going to give us the the lowdown of this story. So here we go. Let's, let's hear it. Let's hear about the Count. Yeah, so um, the book, The Lost Diary of Count von Kossel, it's a republishing of the diary that he wrote about the story. And it's a story that took the world by storm uh, with people equally divided over whether the Count who wrote this was um, a hopeless romantic or a very twisted, insane individual. Hmm. And uh, his story started in Germany uh, and he had visions early on. 
He had visions from these ancestors and you never know what was the truth about him and what wasn't because he had a great imagination and he made a lot of claims. But in his diary, he writes that he was visited by the Countess Anna, one of his ancestors. And she came to him in his castle and she came to him and she said, Carl, there's someone who you were destined to be with. You need to see her face. She stepped closer and pulled back a veil. And mm -hmm. there he saw the beautiful face of Elena Hoyos. But he didn't know her name. He just knew that he was meant to find her. And he set off on this search around the world, always looking for her. And he, he developed this obsession with finding this perfect girl, as the ghost of his ancestor had instructed. And from there, his journey took him a few different places. I mean, from an internment camp in Australia uh, to Cuba. And in Cuba, he was walking through the cemetery in Havana and he saw the spirit of Elena again. And she told him to hop this ferry and he came to Key West. And he arrived in Key West, I think it was 1927. When he got here, he got a job at the Marine Hospital. We don't know if he had any medical training, but he told them he was an x-ray technician and he was smart, 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 knew lots of things. So he works at the Marine Hospital and he was trusted as a doctor in town. And that's when Elena Hoyos came into the picture. Now, Elena Hoyos was a Cuban girl growing up here in Key West. She was young. Mm -hmm. um, and she was dying from tuberculosis. She had been married, uh, but her husband left her after she had a miscarriage and he moved up to Miami. Okay. And she was sick. I mean, it, it was bad. And when you had consumption or tuberculosis during this time, it, it was grim. Sometimes it was death sentence. Um, yeah. The wasting disease. Yeah. The, I mean, it took so many people out. It did. And so she went to the Marine hospital to see if there was any hope. And that's when the count set eyes on her. And he said, I can cure you. And you can imagine the hope that this gave her. They say that's the moment that he fell in love with her. Um, not so much when she walked in, he was struck by her when she walked in, but they say that, he fell in love with her when he x-rayed her chest. Okay. So that can give you a little bit of the perspective on either way the story can go. And he immediately recognized this woman as the woman from his visions presented to him from the visions back in Germany. Yeah. And yeah, was the one that, that the Countess Anna had presented to him and she had raised the veil. and This was her. And the way that the count looked at it, he said, ah, my destiny's finally happened. All my searches have paid off. Here she is. You know, and he didn't think it was any coincidence. Um, he knew that this was meant to be. And he believed that he could cure her. Um, at least in his writings, that's what he says. And he started doing these different treatments. And he was doing a lot of x-rays. And he'd mix up different potions that he'd give her. Uh, he was a man of science. He knew some things. Um, but most other doctors said, you know, this is hopeless. And I don't know why he's doing that. And he offered treatment free of charge. And this was big for her family. Her family did not have a lot of money. Um, the parents were a little skeptical at first, but he insisted on caring for him because the price was right. They went along with it. Right. And a lot of what we know is from his telling, um, you know, I mean, he's the most, uh, the most complete documentation about this. And it's very one-sided, of course. Yeah. But, he, he treated her and, and he moved in with the family at one point and he used to give her gifts and he gave her an engagement ring. And 
some people, you know, according to him, he says that, oh, she's very shy about accepting these things and saying, oh, you really shouldn't. Oh, that's not proper. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm imagining the flip side of that was maybe more like, uh, all right, a little bit creepy old guy, but you're also <laughs> giving me free medical treatment and things are looking pretty grim. So they're there, Carl. Uh, not right now. And I think you nailed it with that. Uh, and a lot of people overlook that detail. They just think there's this hopeless romance, but they fail to recognize that age difference. He was, I, th I think he was in his sixties and she was, you know, she was young. She was in her, in her late teens. Um, so the treatment goes on and she continues to get sicker and sicker and sicker. And there's the back and forth with the family. And, you know, they, they go from appreciating the help and then they go to being, disgusted by it and they don't really know which way to go and then he starts disciplining the family and saying you can't be smoking around or you can't have these parties around her she needs this extra gentle care um, and her father took her out to uh, the halloween day parade and the count went through the roof he said what are you doing taking her out here she can't handle this and it ended up that elena died um, mm. which was Tragic. I mean, it was tragic for the town. It was tragic for everybody. Uh, and once again, Count von Kassel stepped in. He said, don't you worry. I'm going to take care of the arrangements. I know you're short of money. I'm going to have her specially embalmed. I'm going to build a crypt for her. Okay. Wait, let, let me ask. Did he ever tell uh, Elena or the family that he, she had come to him in visions, to your knowledge? Did he say that this was predestined and that they were meant to be together. And yeah. by the way, I, I saw, I had he, a vision he, when I was in Germany. He did not keep it a secret uh, that they were meant to be together. Uh, but, you know, as far as how much detail he actually went into, that's up for speculation. Maybe um, he had some filter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really hard to tell with him. It's, it's so hard to tell. But he, he wanted her. He was going to get her. Uh, and he took her body to the funeral home. You know, the family's like, hey, she's dead. Um, sure, paying for things is fine. So he gave explicit instructions on embalming her. And these were really to make her last. Uh, and then he built a mausoleum for her in the cemetery. And it was a very elaborate mausoleum. I mean, it, it, it's larger than some of the studio apartments in Key West today. Yeah. Uh, and he had it specially built for her. And he had this casket with a couple of different linings. Uh, and several hundred screws in the top. Uh, and it was all enclosed in um, in cement. You know, with a little front door, he had a telephone installed so that he could communicate with her. And okay. So when they were building this, and I think I've seen photos of the original mausoleum, and mm -hmm. when they were building this, when they put a phone in, I don't think that was, especially in the 30s, maybe not a commonwealth, but ever not a common practice to have a phone built into your mausoleum did nobody at this point be like uh okay this is a little bit odd but well, we're just was, gonna do it he's paying for it he was very secretive he did everything by himself he was a craftsman so he constructed the entire mausoleum himself uh the telephone i wonder if it was actually hooked up to anything you know, it, this was his way of communicating with her spirit anytime that he wanted. And I guess in his head, a telephone was an easier way to have her make the transition from being uh, alive to being dead. Okay. Because he does mention a few times how he had to explain to her that she was dead and explain what was happening. Um, so he took great care in that. 
but he did feel that her spirit was there with him from the moment that she died. Uh, it was his job now to reunite her spirit with her body. And he was building this wingless airplane. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a huge plane. Um, and he named it the uh, Countess Elena. And he believed that one day the two of them were going to fly together into the heavens. Uh, and that's how their spirits and their bodies would be, be reunited. Um, so he set to work. <laughs> he had the casket in there. He visited her every day. Uh, he slept there a lot of nights, too. And when it was raining, he'd just pick up the telephone and give her a ring. And he could hear her speaking from the casket. She'd sing to him. She sang the song La Boda de Negra, which is the Black Wedding. Uh, and um, he took this to be a message that she didn't want to be locked in her casket, that she needed to be freed and she needed to be reunited with her body. So he came up with a plan. And one night he went in and he removed the inner casket and he removed her from her mausoleum. And he had taken great care to drape a blanket over one of the cemetery fences where neighbors would have been able to see. He had rented a house right along the cemetery where he could store the body temporarily. And he took the casket out and he had a little red wagon that he dragged it on across the Catholic cemetery and then over to the fence. And he went to lift her over the fence and as he was trying to lift the heavy casket, it was very heavy for him because he, he was an older man. And he stumbled and he fell and the casket opened up a bit. And ooze came pouring out of it and covered Count von Kossel. Ah. And he <laughs> describes the stench in great detail. How long was this again after she had died? She had been dead point? for about two years. Two years, okay. So it's still oozy, okay. He believed she was being preserved in her casket because of his explicit embalming instructions. Mm -hmm. It was at this moment when the casket pinned him and started dripping ooze all over his face that he realized they had not followed his instructions and that her body was decaying. And this broke his heart, uh, broke his spirit almost. He realized that her body was no longer intact. So he managed to unpin himself. He gets the casket up and over. He moves it into the house and he cleans her up as best he can. He's just devastated with the amount of uh, decomposition that he sees. And then he takes a walk home along the beach, hoping that the breeze will get rid of the smell of death that he's covered with. And then he goes back. And one day when he thinks it's safe to do so, he moves her into his uh, wingless airplane and he takes her back behind the Marine hospital where he sets about rebuilding the land. Yeah. So the, and, and so the airplane is he has parked this wingless airplane behind the hospital where he works. Mm -hmm. And no, I, I love this detail that nobody out of all the quirkiness that nobody was like, uh, so you're just going to park your wingless airplane back there. Like, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's New York. You can't park anything anywhere in New York without getting a ticket and people are going to notice, you know, so. I would just assume that a wingless airplane, someone would take note of it behind a hospital. Yeah. And, you know, um, Key West had more open space at the time. Mm. And they, he probably said, hey, it's a project I'm working on. I'm working on building the plane. And they probably said, yeah, OK, great, whatever. And he'd tow it around town. <laughs> he, uh, he had people help him tow it. In fact, on one of his moves, when, um, when he had to move it from the Marine Hospital, um, Elena's brother-in-law helped him tow it. I mean, uh, having no idea that her body was inside. And he was probably 
you know, looking at the pictures of him, he is definitely like an image of classic kind of little bit of mad scientist eccentric. So I'm sure like, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure the people at the hospital or hospital or about town already thought of him as just a, another colorful character of Key West quirky, but mostly harmless. Yeah. I don't know that Key West had much of a quirky reputation at the time. There were a lot of people from all over the world who came through Key West because, you know, I mean, it was still mainly a port town. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we we had the, we had the railroad, but it was still mainly a town that people sailed into. And you had a lot of people from Cuba coming over. You had a lot of people from the Bahamas. Um, And I imagine what they thought they kept to themselves because he gave off the image of having money. He dressed in a tuxedo. He walked with a cane. He told stories about places of the world that most people had only heard of. And he seemed to be getting some type of a pension or payment. So he was taking money and going around and flashing money. And people in Key West wanted money. Uh, so I think there, I think people were willing to turn a blind eye to some things that might other cause or otherwise cause a red flag um, because he had that money and the distinguished titles, you know, account. He's a count for Christ's sakes. Um, so being a count and a doctor and an engineer, and he was also a brilliant organist. He was building his own pipe organ. So um, he was a jack of all trades or a Carl of all trades. <laughs> well, and and Carl, I mean, his name was not actually Count von Kossel. Like his, that's not his real name, correct? Yeah, and there's a number of different names. I think one of the earliest records showed him as uh, uh, George Carl Tanzler. Tansler, yeah. Yeah, and um, he died a Tansler, uh, and, and at times he was Carl Tansler von Kossel. Uh, so it seems like he was someone who was always searching for something else and always changing things. But the title count was pretty much self-applied, self-adopted. Yeah, from what we can tell. Okay. All just, right. just like doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. X-ray tech, doctor, <laughs> count. Yeah, I'm okay. Not sure, I'm not sure which one is worse. <laughs> All right, so he's got the body of Elena. He has taken her out of this mausoleum, which he built. He is now keeping her in the wingless airplane. And then what? Well, the first thing he has to do is preserve what he can of her body and then rebuild her. So he removes whatever decaying flesh he needs to. And he wraps her in silk to create this outer layer of skin. Uh, He installs some glass eyeballs. He wires her bones together with piano wire. Uh, And then he helps sculpt her face with wax and he builds this immersion tank that he fills with different antiseptics and different fluids. And he keeps submersing her in there. He had filled her, her lung cavities with, uh, with rags to, to anything he could do to keep weight on her. And he'd weigh her every day. And he, he took great notes on, uh, on how much weight she was gaining each day. And he talks about adding different, uh, antiseptics to keep away the different insects that were forming uh, and just how disgusted he was every time the different parts of her body started rotting. So it was this great labor of love rebuilding her. Um, but he started getting to a point where things were going okay, uh, to a point where he was happy. He ordered glass eyeballs months apart so nobody would suspect anything. When she was, uh, when she was still alive, um, he had obtained some of her hair at that point. So with her hair that it was missing, he replaced it with her original hair. But he gets to the point where he's feeling pretty good about his fixer upper kind of project. He was feeling good. And then he moved and he ends up moving 
to an old slaughterhouse on the beach, <laughs> a place where they used to slaughter cattle. It was this concrete building. And he moved in there very secretly. That's the trip that the brother helped move on. And, um, and that's where he spent uh, a good amount of his time with Elena, romancing her. And he spent all his time with her. He, play, he played the organ for her. Uh, he bought her different outfits. Uh, he'd spend all of his time talking to her and, um, you know, really teaching her things and talking about how they were going to fly away in that plane together. And they spent many, many years. And then uh, I think it was the WPA that came in and started doing beach projects. And he didn't like people being around the house. So he moved even further away. He moved to the end of Flagler Avenue, which was the middle of nowhere at the time. And he rented a small house. Somebody, he had a roommate, which I don't know how that actually worked out. Really? I didn't know this detail. Yeah, in some of the letters he talks about like the housemate, and I guess they had separate parts of the house, or one had a cottage, but I can't imagine the other one was there without realizing what was going on. And there's tales of of kids going by and peeking in the window and seeing the Count dancing with Elena. Um, and word gets out, uh, and people tell Elena's sister, Nana, that the Count has her body. And some people say she didn't believe it. Um, but enough word went around that she decided to go check it out. I mean, he had been about town also purchasing women's clothing mm -hmm. and despite, and and people knew that this was a, a man that was not to their knowledge married, but he was purchasing clothing for a woman, right? Is that, and there's a theory which I tend to believe uh, a lot of people, you have to understand, when Nana finds out about what's going on, the story tells you that she goes over to the Count's place and looks through the window and sees her sister there in the bed and says, no, this can't be her. The Count's story says that he took Nana to his house and said, don't worry, she's fine, because Nana started saying, oh, she's not in the crypt. People say she's not in the crypt. This can't be true. This can't be true. He says, no, no, she's fine. Let me show you. And he claims he wanted to show off the fine work he had done in rebuilding her and showed her to her sister and said, look at the great job I've done. Proud, she, proud of what he had accomplished. Oh, yeah. She was dressed in a wedding dress, sitting there on the bed, wedding band on her finger. Um, but the theory that I believe is that he was paying Nana to keep quiet. Nana had known for some time what was going on and she was blackmailing him. So he was giving her money. And then he got to the point where he said, I'm not paying you anymore. Whether it was because he wasn't able to or because he felt he shouldn't have to. Um, I think that's when she went to the cops. I don't think there's any way in this town that this could have gone on for this long without people knowing. And I don't think you've told me that theory before in the times we talked about it. Is that just because you, that theory is based simply because he couldn't have he could not have gotten away with this or. I mean, why do you think the sister was on the take? You know, Key West is such a small town. And I think if you've got a body in a house and you have a roommate, <laughs> I, I think people have to know. You know, the fact that the brother-in-law helped him tow the airplane to the new location, too, um, seems to indicate to me that there must have been some type of financial incentive for doing that. So people, you think people knew that there was something something a little wacky going on and either paid off or maybe turned a blind eye or whatever. Okay. Just not my problem. 
you know yeah. I, I he as a housemate he's paying his rent on time he he's not look they don't make a lot of noise <laughs> right. uh, so we're just gonna you know whatever yeah yeah so but it all came down uh and the police were called in the sheriff went out there and the count didn't understand what he had done wrong and sure enough, Elaine is in there and she's in the bed and she's wearing a wedding dress. So um, he had married her. He had married her. He believed they were together. Um, and it's interesting because she was never divorced from her first husband. So I don't know. I don't know what this what that makes things. Um, but I, I think I think it is just another it's it's weird. And this is just another little element of the weirdness. I don't know if that counts as uh, 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 polygamy if you're dead and you don't can't give consent about being married. But, you know, OK. Yeah. So they took the count in and they gave him a psychiatric examination and um, they said he was saying to stand trial that there were no problems with this. Now, he had lived with the body for seven years. So the statute of limitations on grave robbing had expired. Um, so he was only brought up on charges of wanton and willful destruction of a grave. Um, so. Yeah. So let me stop you there. So this is the only. And knowing this story, I can't get over the fact that there are photos of the psychiatric evaluation. Right. Mm-hmm. And they walked away saying, yeah, he did you do you know what they said okay did they say well this was obviously odd behavior but he knew what he was doing what how did they come to the determination that he was saying despite this despite all this and i've dug around for transcripts and you know so many files have disappeared or just been destroyed so i can't find transcripts so it's only speculation um but I suspect that he insisted on a trial and that they asked him a series of questions and that he responded as an intelligent human being and that they didn't see someone who was delusional. They probably saw he, he was very charming from uh, from what many people say. So I, I think he probably charmed them. Um, then again, maybe he paid them off. Maybe he said, hey, no, I need this trial. I can stand trial. I'm fine. I think he was. I think he probably argued for himself. Yeah, I can do it uh, because he believed in his innocence. Right, and it's it's mind blowing that enough time had passed that there's no real charge that's going to stick to him. Not, you know, not desecration of a body, not not grave robbing. Oh, you know, it's too too long has passed, so nothing's really going to stick to him. But yeah, there is that point that he thought what he was doing was fine, and I imagine that this was about to be quite the spectacle for Key West and a trial would make it even more so. Yeah. And as soon as the news broke, it traveled all around the world. I mean, there's news newspaper headlines from all around the world. And it was just this bizarre fascination. You know, it was like a Frankenstein type thing. Uh, and this is the first time that I'm aware of groupies coming to Key West. Um, they came from all over Florida, even even from out of state. Um, these women thought it was such a beautiful story that they came down and they started gathering outside of his jail cell, um, just wanting to see the count. They brought him flowers and they, they made food for him. And they thought, oh, he's such a romantic. Oh, such a romantic. Uh, 
And it divided the town to an extent where some of the people thought, this guy is an absolute sicko. And the rest of them thought, oh, so sweet. I wish somebody take, would take care of me like that after I was dead. <laughs> um, but it was, a, it was a trial and it was a sensation and it put Key West on the map. A lot of people hadn't heard of Key West before that. Um, and ultimately the count was found uh, not guilty. And he returned to his little house and he started writing his memoirs. And he'll talk about people coming from all over the states to see him. He said he had visitors from every state and they'd want a little piece of something that belonged to him. They'd take little souvenirs and they'd ask for autographs. And I'm on the hunt for one of these autographs. I'm guessing nobody knew who they were and threw them away. Um, yeah. but, uh, but he did that for a while and then it was time for him to leave town. And um, I don't know if he was forced out of town. I'm guessing he wasn't welcome here anymore. Um, people probably didn't like him profiting from the death of one of their girls, uh, you know, or, you know, because because Elena, th this is a town that would have supported Elena. Okay, yeah, the Cuban population of this town would have stuck with the person who was born and raised here. All right, um, and I think when he started writing about this and becoming a bit of a tourist attraction, they probably said, "Oh yeah, enough's enough," and I'm guessing he was asked to leave. Um, again, speculation, but the count did leave and he left in the middle of the night. And uh, shortly after he left, Elena's mausoleum exploded. Perfectly normal thing for a mausoleum to do, just mm -hmm. explode in the middle of the night. Yeah. And, you know, um, the more creative storytellers will say that this was Elena's ghost breaking free at last because the count had left the island um, more accurately because Von Kossel was charged with wanton and willful destruction of a grave, I think he wanted to show them what wanton and willful destruction of a grave really was. And I think he probably set a, a little time bomb, a little charge to blow it up. A final um, F you on his way out of town. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, the actual grave that exploded, the headstone, uh, it's on display right next to Robert the Doll's room up at the 40s Martello Museum. But the count... You know, he went up, he moved up to Zephyr Hills and uh, in Florida. And it's interesting because he moved in uh, very close to his ex-wife. Uh, he had been married before this. He had actually left his wife and children um, to pursue Elena. Was he, was he divorced? Had he gotten divorced or were they still married? Actually, uh, don't quote me on that. Um, my belief is that he had not been divorced. Yeah. I And that was, that was the version that I've read that, during this whole time, he was married. So Elena hadn't gotten a proper divorce before she sadly passed away. Right. And meanwhile, he's he's a bigamist with uh, with a uh, a corpse mm -hmm. and a wife. And so just add that onto the pile of of things for the count <laughs> of usual things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he goes up to Zephyr Hills, and you know he finished writing his memoirs. And um, some people say that his that his ex-wife or his wife supported him. They didn't live together. Um, but then many years later, the Count himself was found dead. Nightmerica is brought to you by the Smell of Fear Candle Co. You know I'm a nerd. You know this. But what you may not know is that I also like candles, and a good-smelling candle can bring a lot of character to the room. And Smell of Fear candles bring a lot of literary and film characters to a room. 
These scents are inspired by characters and settings from stories and history. For example, the Telltale Heart Candle from the Essence of Poe collection smells like the infamous oak floorboards from that story, with just a hint of tobacco that I imagine that crazed narrator was frantically smoking. I also dig the Gonna Need a Bigger Boat Candle from the Cinematic Sense Collection. Jaws is one of my favorite movies, and this candle puts me right in the action. It smells like salty sea air with the wood of an old fishing boat and just a hint of whiskey that Quint was knocking back. There's also the Sasquatch Candle from the Cryptid Collection. No, it it does not smell like the stinky beast that we all know and love, but instead it's inspired by the heavily forested areas in the northwest that Bigfoot is said to roam, with hints of redwood, cedar, pine, and earth. Other collections include literary redolence, televised temptations, a whiff of king, think Stephen King, with more than 80 candles and counting, there are new candles being released monthly. Newer releases are Welcome to Fright Night, for real. And that smells like the fresh fruit that Jerry Dandridge was always munching on in the movie. Well, when not munching on humans. There's also Icy Dead People, an icy blend of spearmint, eucalyptus, and mint. And January's releases are a Crucible-inspired creation and something from the Conjuring universe. These candles are a coconut soy blend with no paraffin, so they are eco-friendly, organic, renewable, sustainable, and have minimal environmental impact. They are also clean burning, with almost zero soot in comparison to other types of wax candles. They're also slow burning, with a fantastic scent throw and not made with nasty chemicals. The candles are available in several shapes and sizes, as well as in wax melts. They also do wholesale, custom, and a subscription box service that features each month's new releases. And the candles are sold on Etsy, as well as thesmelloffear.com. They also donate a portion of profits to various non-profit organizations monthly. And past donations have gone to COVID relief funds, pet rescue organizations, and crisis services. Isn't that just nice? That's really nice. I like that. Finally, with the code NIGHTMERICA, you can get 15% off your order at thesmelloffear.com. So check them out. Smell of Fear Candle Co. They make good sense. When they found him, they said that he was holding uh, a replica of Elena de Hoyos. He had made a death mask of her. They said he had recreated her face and he was clutching that. Um, other reports say he was on the floor by the organ. Uh, and one other theory even says that he had paid off the police chief and then he switched out Elena's body before that was hidden in a secret location and sent the actual body back to Von Kossel. And they say that he died with the real Elena de Hoyos. Hmm. What do you think? It's so hard to tell. Um, because money talks. Yeah. And, you know, without being there at the time, it's really hard to know. The more I find out about some of the people who were involved at the time, um, the more I realize that anything is possible. And the stories in Key West, you know, they, they took Elena de Hoyos, they put her on display. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna bring that up. So the body itself, they take it away from him. Yeah, they and... took the body away from him and um, they put her on display at the Lopez Funeral Home. 
And they let the kids out of school that day. 6,800 people came to see her. And there's this brilliant photo. You can dig around online for it. Uh, it's taken from inside the funeral home looking out. And you see hundreds of children just staring at Elena. And she's dressed in this silk kimono. And uh, it's, it's disturbing what she looks like. It's, it's truly disturbing. She does look like a a, a doll, a, a human yeah. doll. And yeah. if you didn't know that she was truly a body, a corpse, you may not suspect that. Yeah. And after they did the examination on her, um, they broke her body up uh, into small pieces and they put her in, I think it was like an 18 inch long box, uh, maybe 32 inch box, but they put her in a very small box and she was buried in secret. And she was buried by the undertaker and by the chief of police and by the cemetery sexton. Those were the only three people who knew the location of Elena's final burial, but burial, and all three of them are dead now. And you have people who claim that they know, but I don't think anybody can definitively say they know the location of her grave now. The best theory that I've heard uh, is that she is buried in the cemetery close to the sexton's office, because that way there would be somebody to keep an eye on her in case the count did come back to dig her up. Which, which would have been something he would have done because sure. even during while well, he was in prison or, or being held for a bit of time or when he was released, did he not ask for the body back anyhow? Yeah. Didn't yeah. he think this was my wife and whatever, I'm not going to jail. I didn't do anything wrong. So I can get, I can get Elena back now. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He asked for her back. <laughs> what is, and what's your, I've heard some theories and I don't know how much of it is legend versus fact that with the body that they actually split her body up into three different containers and she's buried in multiple locations have you heard that that variation no and, and i don't think that's something they do uh okay. you know if, if you're looking to get rid of a body and it, you're just hiding it from one person i don't think you give them three bodies uh to to search for you just know, makes it more complicated odds. I, I think they would have been respectful um, you know, the, the undertaker's involved. So I think he's going to do the most respectful thing. And I think the beliefs at the time dictated that somebody should be buried uh, in the sacred ground of the cemetery. Um, so I think there's a lot of credibility to that. Some people say she's buried under the oldest house. Um, that's close to where the undertaker lived. Um, so there, I've been looking for a connection there. That's a possibility too. Um, yeah, you really just don't know. But if you, Go ahead. No, no, after you. Well, something really interesting. People love to label this as a love story. That's how the Count portrayed it. Um, there's a great book out by ben, ben Harrison called Undying Love, which talks all about it. When I was digging around, I mean, I looked for everything I could get my hands on about a subject. And I came across an old pulp magazine. It's, uh, it's actually called uh, Detective Cases. Yeah. And it has a story called Florida's Dr. Frankenstein and his laboratory of love. And I find different magazines that have that recount the story through time. And normally you don't get any new information. This one though had a story and it talked about the 1980s when somebody was renovating, uh, renovating a cottage. And when they tore down the wall, they found different bottles, strange labels on them and a confession note. And they say that they looked at the note, they didn't know what it was, but it seemed to be someone admitting to killing someone. 
So they turned it over to the Key West police and the Key West police dis uh, discovered that it was Count Von Kossel and he was admitting to have poisoned Elena Hoyos. Wow. So this is kind of earth shattering because the way the story's written, it, you know, it, it's in a magazine where things could go either way, but the guy who wrote it, he's dead. So I can't talk to him, but all of his facts in the story line up with other things. Um, I mean, he's not varying from things. He's not making stuff up. And he's got this one part. And I've been to the police. Um, they don't have files from then anymore. None of those files are still around. You know, there's limited storage space in Key West. And they keep things only as long as the government requires them to. And then they shred and they get rid of stuff and throw it away. So I can't find the police reports from this time. But... This makes so much sense. The Count's in love. He's a much older man in love with a young girl. She wants nothing to do with him. She's not dying fast enough. He's got this plan to be with her after she's dead. So what does he do? He poisons her. He poisons her to kill her quicker so that he can have her as his own. Wow. I, I did not know this part of, of it. And I mean, look, considering the other things he's willing to do, I uh, would this... This I would not put this past him. Yeah. This this act. And and plus, I mean, from his mind, twisted mind, even when she was dead, he believed he was communicating with her. So there was not really a separation between life and death for him. So why not, yeah, make it happen a little bit faster and I'll still have her. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, and it really changes the whole picture where it's like, wait a minute, this guy is not a hopeless romantic trying to save someone. Uh, it makes him uh, a predator and a murderer and a necrophiliac who, um, who who preyed on a young child in Key West. Yeah. Well, OK. I mean, but, David, I think I was already I was already in that camp <laughs> of believing that there, I don't know. I don't know that I would really trust to be around anyone that takes the hopeless romantic stance <laughs> as opposed to already someone that belongs in the true crime category because really she had Elena and, and we talk a lot about him, but Elena had no say over what happened to her body. And even though she has passed and, and depending on your belief, no longer attached to that, it's still her body mm -hmm. and have, you know, did not give that kind of consent or whatever. If she had written him a note being like, look, if, if you can't cure me, uh, whatever you do with my body, Go for it. You've been a you've been a real good sport. So have the body. If she had left that behind, maybe. But she didn't. She had no say in this matter. So it. I don't think I'm going with the <laughs> the, the a crime of passion here. And good answer. Good answer. So yeah, was that the test? That was a litmus <laughs> test. I think I passed. The, but yeah. So I. It also kind of makes sense. So the the book, your your lost diary of Count von Kassel, he did publish this. He published that in a in a pulp magazine, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was Fantastic Adventures, um, nineteen forty seven. And and so he's he's uh, th this is what makes it also so interesting and different than a lot of other stories out there is that you have the guy that did it outwardly talking about it believing himself to be some misunderstood romantic, except if he did poison her, leaving that part out of the story also kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he was trying to rewrite history in his in his favor. Wow. This was like the first if I did it, here's how. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The do you was is there any story about any any documents about what happened to Elena's family dur- after after his arrest and then the years following in Key West and any anyone still out there that's even I imagine there has to be people out there that still are related to. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, Key West is a very close town. So, you know, someone's always a, a cousin or a, a niece or aunt or uncle. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people who don't like the story being talked about, but, it, you know, it's history. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, Elena's sister, Nana, she, she died from tuberculosis as well. Um, and um, I think it was her husband uh, he was electrocuted. He was doing some work, I think, on the base, and he tried to help someone uh, and hit a wire with a pole and got electrocuted and died. Wow. So the immediate family died off. And, you know, you're going back. Well, you're going back uh, close to 100 years. Yeah. Know, 90 years now. So. Yeah. Well, however, you, so you think about it as being a long time ago, but the thing I, I think about just to put it into context, this crazy, crazy thing is taking place also during a time when Hemingway. And I think in 1931 was when Hemingway moved into the key West house that he's famous for. So I pe- I could be getting my years off just slightly by one or two, but we're talking about this happening when these major literary figures are also moving about town and they're creating their own history. Right. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, I believe that Hemingway came up with the title of farewell to arms when they were breaking up her body. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I don't know if it'd be better if that's a joke you keep in your back pocket or you just came up with it right now. I don't know. I just came up with it, but I'll give you, I'll give you points for your, uh, your quick wit and, and the darkest dad joke ever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is there, are there any, I mean, this is a, a true crime story with these paranormal elements where he believed he was talking to her ghost and things like that. Have there been, are there any lingering ghost lore that continues connected to this story? Do people say that they either see Elena or even Carl out and about? Yeah, um, I have not heard much about Carl's ghost, but people talk about Elena's ghost quite a bit. And there's a few locations where people talk about her. Um and, you know, I, I believe when a story's told, I believe in the surrogate ghost where the other spirits might come in and pretend to be the one you're talking about. But uh, where the old funeral home used to be, um, tours will stop out there. I, I stopped there on tours for years and we'd tell different stories and there's apparitions around there. Now, um, who knows who they are? I mean, is it Elena de Hoyos? That's a funeral home where thousands and thousands and thousands of people have um, been prepared, had their bodies prepared for burial. Uh, but that's one spot where there's definite activity where her story is told. The other spot is at the oldest house. And the oldest house is it's full of ghosts as well. It's an extremely haunted place. Um, and in the back, uh, tours will go around there and they do see a Cuban woman, a young Cuban girl. And her spirit walks around the yard back there. 
is that Elena? Well, we've had a lot of young Cuban girls, but when her story is told, people do see that. And it's not, you know, I, um, the ghost, the Key West Ghost and Mysteries tour goes back there now, I believe. Um, uh, I had a tour that went there for a while. It's happening on different tours that there's activity when her story is told. Um, mm. But there's evidence for that. And then up at the museum. Now, I can't imagine why Elena would want to hang around uh, her exploded tombstone. Um, but uh, when the trolleys used to go up to the fort, they would tell the story there and there would be activity uh, when they told her story. So, you know, is her ghost around? I'd like to think she's at rest. Yeah. I'd, I'd re I really hope that she moved on because she went through so much in such a short time when she was alive. And her ending was terrible. And then for her body to have those nine years before it was finally laid to rest, um, I really hope that her spirit is not anywhere. That yes. she's moved on. I mean, hopefully she's been reincarnated as a cat or something. Maybe a dog in a nice little house that gets fed steak. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like you would, yeah, you would most certainly hope that after everything that happened, she would have some sort of rest. According to paranormal theory, it's so difficult because when you talk about a ghost or or a lady in white, one of the popular ghost tropes, it's it's not like a ghost is wearing a sticker that says "Hello, my name is Elena." Mm -hmm. So it's hard to determine who that person is in a lot of cases of of these stories of these reports, but. Considering, yes, what she went through, considering what she went through after she died, even like the desecration, that would lead, it seems like, according to theory, a restless spirit. But especially, especially if she was indeed poisoned. And and quite honestly, just the fact that there's no real, there's no real documentation, no real track record of the Count being a real doctor or having any real medical knowledge he may have he may have kind of known what he was doing as an x-ray tech but he wasn't a doctor so even the the treatments that he was providing were probably some sort of quackery mm -hmm. so that in of itself must have who knows if he just kind of even unintentionally pushed her along down this illness who knows but and he may have been dosing her with such high amounts of radiation that yeah that could have killed her too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, uh, uh, all that connection. Yeah, the, uh, fuck you, Carl Tanzler. That's what I'm saying. Like, and I don't even swear a lot on this podcast, but the, it's such a quirky and weird story, and it's easy to get caught up in the quirkiness of it. But what a crazy old dirtbag lech, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, but a fascinating fascinating story that seems like of course it's gonna of course it's gonna be florida and then of course it's gonna be the west uh, yeah, and, a, but, and a journey into his mind is just i mean it's it's unbelievable uh you know seeing the way that he described it it's, it's just insane yeah yeah, yeah the <laughs> fact that he could write about it in that oh of course i'm gonna share my story why of course i'm gonna share well no big deal yeah. Uh, one of the few, uh, his account was one of the few things that I've read that made me almost throw up while reading it. Yeah. Well, so, so the book, the lost diary of Count von Kossel with, uh, your writing as well, your introduction 
a true twisted tale of love after death is literally what you could have gotten in that pulp magazine some 50, 60 years ago or whatever. Uh, so we have that and that is available. And also, yeah, Ben Harrison wrote undying love, which kind of puts it into perspective as well. And, but in addition to that, before I let you go, what are some of the other books you want people to check out? How can people find you? And and just kind of tell us a little bit more about the Ghost Ford Adventures happening at Fort East Martello. Yeah, well, if people are coming down to Key West, um, the the two best-selling travel guides for Key West uh, or for the Florida Keys are the Florida Keys bucket list and the new Key West bucket list. Um, so if they want like 100 offbeat adventures, uh, each book has 100 offbeat adventures in the Florida Keys. So check those out. That'll show you the perfect time in Key West. It'll let you pick and choose. Uh, it's a cool kind of travel guide. Lots of local advice. Um, so if they're coming down, check those out. If you want to come see me, I'd say uh, go to ghostfort.com and book a ticket to come out on one of my tours or one of my lockdowns. I've done a lot of ghost hunting in and around Key West, and this fort has the most insane energy I've ever seen. It's just, it's an incredible Civil War fort. So come out with me and I'll show you a good time. Um, if you want to see me on social media, I'm the Key West Ghost Fort or at the Key West Ghost Fort on Instagram and uh, I think a few other things, but uh, I'm not there much. So, And I will say that as far as the legends and the stories that David tells, they are incredible, but just as far as big personalities of Key West, if you go around anywhere in Key West and you mention David Sloan, people know who he is. And it's weird. Like you yourself are now one of these characters, whether it's the the vintage uh, beer can collection or, uh, you know, wherever it is, people know you and you have made your own mark larger than life mark on Key West. It's So you're one of those icons of of the keys now. Until they find the dead girl in my back room. <laughs> See, you don't want to end the podcast with that. That's the joke you make at the beginning. So by the end, everybody's forgotten about it. Now you're ending with it. That's the last bit. <laughs> so uh, he doesn't, just for anyone listening, David Sloan doesn't have a dead girl. Well, I mean, as far as I know, David Sloan doesn't have any dead people in his house or basement or anything. <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) David, thank you so much for joining. It's great to see you, my friend. Great to hear a story from you. Thank you. And we'll we'll do this again, and I'll see you in person soon, I hope. Great. I can't wait. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please consider giving Nightmarica a review on Apple Podcast. It really helps raise awareness and boost the show's rankings. Also, Give me a follow on social media at Nightmarica on Instagram and Facebook and at Aaron Sagers on Instagram and Twitter and share Nightmarica with your friends. If you are able, I'd appreciate your support on patreon.com forward slash Aaron Sagers, where I also create tiki recipes, hold live streams and share exclusive content. Don't miss new episodes of Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel and Discovery+. Plus. If you'd like to share your own paranormal stories or get paranormal advice for entertainment purposes only, email nightmericashow at gmail.com. <laughs>